Amen. You can be seated. Those of you who know me, uh, spent time with me, know I can't talk long without drawing something on a whiteboard, so it was only a matter of time that one would appear on the stage. <laughs> I'll get to that in a bit. Uh, good morning, and good morning to our viewers online as well. Uh, we're continuing our message series, Galatians, Free at Last, today, uh, with a discussion on identity and self-worth. Like, what defines you? What gives you your sense of self-worth? Do you find uh, your identity and get your sense of self-worth in your job, in your family, in your accomplishments, uh, in your net worth, uh, or something else? Um, growing up, I was a relatively bright kid, uh, and much of my identity came from my grades, from being the quick-witted one, the one who knew stuff when others didn't. If in a conversation I came up short and found out I didn't know something, uh, I'd go look it up in the encyclopedia or I'd go to the library. They didn't have the internet when I was a kid back in the 70s. When I was in fifth grade, uh, they tested me and uh, they put me into the gifted program in school. Now it's interesting because I was just barely smart enough to get in, uh, which made me the dumb one in the gifted class. <laughs> but hey, at least I was in, right? So much of my identity when I was growing up was tied to me trying to appear like I was smart. Uh, then I went uh, off to college on a voice scholarship. I was gonna study voice and I was going to be this great opera singer. And so my identity shifted. Now my identity was tied up in my voice. Um, throughout college, throughout grad school, that was my identity. And after grad school, I was just getting started in my opera career. I'd sung at a little opera house in Germany, just about 30 kilometers south of Munich. Over one summer, I was a regional finalist in the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions. I had, that um, was in Chicago, I had auditioned for several opera companies in St. Louis, San Francisco, Chicago. All were saying, um, that I had a lot of potential, but I needed to let my voice mature a couple years, so come back and re-audition. And then, it was during that time, in 2001, I was 29 at the time, uh, I had a radical conversion. I gave my life to Jesus, and the next year I was called into ministry. God called me into, a, into ministry at a rock and roll church, much like this one. That frankly had no use for my classical singing voice. And so I suffered from an identity crisis. Um, I mean, literally like every traditional church I went to Whenever I attended, like at the end of the service, the people in front of me would turn around and compliment me on my singing. 
Nobody does that here. It's because it's the wrong genre. It's not my deal, okay? So if I'm not identified with my singing any more than who am I? So some well-meaning people tried to combine the two. They would, they'd be like, well, you, maybe you'll be the singing pastor. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's not right. Pretty sure you don't want to hear this sermon sung in opera. So this question of identity and self-worth is a deep longing that every one of us has. God has put this deep longing in our hearts for significance. We all want to be significant. We all want to live a significant life. I see people all the time who struggle with their identity. They struggle with their sense of self-worth. They'll try to find their identity, try to define their sense of self-worth in the wrong things. Whenever we misplace uh, where we are finding our identity, where we are finding our sense of self-worth, where we are finding our purpose in life, it can lead us down to some really bad roads. Uh, There are people who find themselves in the midst of anxiety and depression, of performance-based perfectionism, of approval and people-pleasing, Um, And all of these things we don't think of as idols, but they really are. We end up placing our identity and putting our sense of self-worth in achievements, in accomplishments, in acquisitions of things. We end up wrapping our identity and our sense of self-worth in the opinions of others. We become very dependent on what others think about us and how we perform. Believe me, I know this. I would spend hours in the practice room every day woodshedding the notes, right? The proper pronunciation of the words in the languages I was singing in, whether it was French or Italian or German, literally just for the approval of people who knew this stuff. But here's the thing. The Bible, God's love letter to us, tells us that our identity is not in doing, but in being. The Lord cares less about what you do than about who you are in him. So LifeWay Research uh, did a study in 2019 and asked 1,010 Americans about their sense of identity and what matters most regarding their identity. They were asked this question. When you think about who you are, what are the first three things that come to mind? So they're listed up there. 25% said being a parent, 12% said being intelligent, 11% said their job, 11% said compassionate, 10% said being a husband, 10% said being kind, 10% said being trustworthy, and you can read them on down there, wife, friend, hardworking, honest, Christian, religious slash spiritual, 2% said child of God, 1% said blessed. When they were given a list of potential things that were very important to their identity, uh, 73% pointed to their role in their family, 57% pointed to the good things that they do, 51% pointed to what they have achieved, and 49% 
pointing to their role as a friend. So these things seem like good things until we lose them. Problem is that so many of these things can easily change. Sometimes they change very quickly. When they do, we can end up having an identity crisis. Most of us have some experience with this. When we moved, uh, when we came out of our teenage years into our adult years, we were trying to figure out who we are, like what we're gonna do in life, like who we're gonna do life with. But most of us go through this again even after we become adults. The problem is that when we place our identity in things that aren't stable and consistent, we find ourselves wondering like who we are once these things are gone. But when we root ourselves, when we root our identity and our sense of self-worth in something that is immutable, in something that never changes, we have solidarity and we know who we are. We're not... We're not blowing where the wind takes us. We are solid like a rock. When our identity is rooted in something that is unchanging, neither criticism nor compliments can sway us. We know who we are. We know why we are here. And we know what we are supposed to do. So change is inevitable. As we get older, our relationships can change, and this can be very hard. If we lose a child, if we lose a sibling, or we go through a divorce, we lose a parent, all these events can change how we see ourselves. They can change our sense of, of identity. Even if we end up moving to a new town, or we change jobs, we go from working to not working. <clears throat> Excuse me, maybe you're, you're, uh, you're now raising a family. You were working, now you're not working, you're raising your family. Maybe you're now retired. Uh, or maybe something happened and the friend you've had for years is no longer there for you. Or maybe you're no longer there for them. These changes can happen quickly and sometimes in an instant, and they can be devastating. But Paul says this in Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. He says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. And so that ties into our scripture this morning, which uh, if you'll indulge me, I want to read it again. It's Galatians 3, 26 to 29, and then 4, 1 through 7. It says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. 
We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So if we're going to find our identity in anything, the only thing that never changes is our identity as a child of God. So let's talk for a moment about what it means to be a child of God. 1 John 3.10 explains what it means to be a child of God. Now, sometimes um, I can be accused of being too direct. I find it interesting. I find culturally, like that's not the norm here in Minnesota. Uh, but yeah, I've been accused for being too direct. But, but John, in this passage, is pretty direct, uh, more so than we're used to hearing. So he says, so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. He's like, Poof. it's like a bomb. <laughs> now, John isn't referring to the legalists who work really hard to earn God's favor, okay? So Titus 3.5 says, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He's describing the life of someone who has received Jesus Christ as their savior and who has made him Lord of their life. And like I said a couple weeks ago, this is, this is not a life of do's and don'ts. It is a life of giving up control to the Holy Spirit. Okay? And as we give up control to the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, our life will eventually be radically different from the way it was before and radically different from the life of an unbeliever. Okay, it doesn't happen overnight, but eventually as we spend more time in his presence and we learn to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit, he changes us from the inside out. He changes our wants, he changes our desires, uh, we find ourselves becoming more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, demonstrating all the other fruit of the Spirit. Now, sometimes um, people have a misconception of spiritual growth, and that's why I have this here, because uh, I want to show you something, um, just so we can clear any misconceptions. So I'm a math guy, can't go along without doing math, so I apologize if you don't like math, but here's a graph. It's your y-axis, your x-axis, okay. So most people think of spiritual growth uh, looks like this, right? Up and to the right, you know? Over time, you know, you're praying more, you're, you're giving more, you're you're worshiping more, you're in a small group, you're whatever, you know, you're becoming more of the, you know, loving, all those kinds of things. But this is incorrect, okay? This is more of what 
spiritual growth looks like realistically. Okay, you ready? Okay, so <laughs> that's why we need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and we need not to judge one another, right? We're all in different places. We all got different things the Holy Spirit's working on with us. Yeah, you might, you might have all the externals worked out, but man, you're just a, <laughs> you've got all kinds of things that are, God's working on in your heart, and all of those are hidden, you know, or vice versa. Okay, so like that is more accurate. Keep that picture in your mind. I would have just like popped that up on the screen, but I wanted you to see me draw it. (laughs) All right, now sidebar. Sometimes people have the mistaken notion that everyone is a child of God, right? The idea is that we're all created in God's image and we, we we all have value and worth and beauty and he loves us all, so aren't we all God's children? Unfortunately, the Bible says no. Every human being was created by God and is loved by God, but we only become his children when we are adopted by him. And we are adopted into his family by grace through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' work on the cross made it possible for us to be adopted into the family of believers, but we only receive that adoption when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Okay, a couple scriptures. Ephesians 1.5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Romans 8.15 says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. So why is that? Um, Why are we not all children of God already? It's because of our sin. We live under the tyranny of Satan, who the Bible says is the God of this world. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, Satan, who is the God of this world, I always find it surprising, like people have been walking with the Lord a long time, they didn't know that, like they didn't read that. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So until Jesus rescues us, we are slaves to our sinful nature, and that is what we live for. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who sins is a slave of sin, John 8, 34. And then Romans 6, 15 through 18 says, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we, go, we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. 
Once you were slaves of sin, but now you are wholeheartedly obey, you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. So in that state that we were in, we could not even enter into the presence of God. Our sin natures had to be forgiven and our natures restored before we can then have fellowship with the one we have offended. Psalm 51.7 says, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. 2 Corinthians 5.17 describes what happens when we are born again into the family of God through faith in Jesus. It says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. So Jesus taught that becoming children of God means that we have to experience a new birth. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, John 3.3. So to be a child of God means that our old sin nature is replaced with a nature that wants to please the Lord. Now, we still sin. I'll I'll just speak for myself. I still sin. Um, 1 John 1, 8 says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But now we are adopted into God's family and we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. 1 John 2.1 says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So being a child of God means that our sins are paid for and our relationship with God has been restored. Being a child of God also means that we have access to the throne of grace through prayer anytime, any place. Okay, Hebrews 4.16 says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Being a child of God means that now we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and he wants to lead us, he wants to guide us, he wants to empower us, he wants to transform us from the inside out. Being a child of God means we can trust God to supply all of our needs. Okay, Philippians 4.19 says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Being a child of God means that we can be confident that God will give us good gifts. Matthew 7, 11 says, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Being a child of God means that we have an eternity in heaven guaranteed. We no longer have to question what will happen to us after we die. We call this eternal security. Okay, Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee 
that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. And then John 3, 16 to 18, probably the most famous scripture. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. That everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Being a child of God means that one day we will see Jesus face to face. And so we keep ourselves pure. Not through our own legalistic efforts where we just focus on a few external behaviors, right? All the do's and don'ts that we just sort of arbitrarily pick. This is what a good Christian looks like, right? But by learning to listen to the Holy Spirit and submit to his leading in every area of our lives, even those hidden areas that no one else sees, First John 3.3 3 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. Being a child of God means we're eager to do good works, not to earn our salvation, but because he is transforming us from the inside out. He is literally changing our hearts and our wants and our desires. Like that is the transforming power of his presence. It literally changes. Like I used to enjoy that. Why don't I enjoy that anymore? Why am I doing this? I never would have, like 10 years ago, I never would have been the kind of person to do this. That's what Holy Spirit does in our lives. Titus 2.14 says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Being a child of God means that we are no longer a child of the devil because that's what we were before we became children of God. It means we no longer want to play on the devil's playground. God sets about transforming his children through the power of the Holy Spirit and because of that, over time, we begin to take on the family resemblance. Doesn't happen at first, but slowly, gradually, 
As we, I like the image of, you know, each of us being a house with rooms. As we unlock those rooms and let spirit in, and he comes in, cleans it, you know? You ever, you ever been in the house of a hoarder? <laughs> You're like, oh. <laughs> well, that's the state of our souls when Jesus comes in, you know? Jesus is like the ultimate, like, I love watching those shows where they come in and like clean that all up and... It's like all this, like every countertop before was full and now it's just like, there's nothing on those countertops. You ever walk in a space where there's like no clutter and you just have that feeling of, right? That's what he's doing. Holy Spirit wants access to every nook and cranny in your house, in you. Even that, you know, I moved, when we moved here and like some of these older houses have these like little rooms, like little attic things and you're like, oh, what's that little door go to? <laughs> like, he wants all of that. Okay. So, Philippians 2, 12 through 15 says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. It's an, it's an inside-out process. Being a child of God means that we now inherit the kingdom of God. Matthew 25, 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And Hebrews 12, 28 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Ephesians 1.3 tells us that believers are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus, right? So these spiritual blessings are infinite, they are eternal, and they are found in Christ. And by God's grace, we are given those blessings as God's children. So as an earthly child, you know, um, often we inherit what our parents leave behind for us after they pass on. Um, but being a child of God means we're already reaping the rewards of our inheritance now. Right? That, that future reality of the kingdom of God begins breaking into our present life now. And that inheritance will then extend on into eternity when in heaven we worship him as one united family, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And then Revelation 14, 6 says, And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Like that, 
That's where we end up. That reality is breaking into your life right now. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit has come to live within you. The reality, that future reality that we read about in Revelation of heaven, where there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, there's no more crying, where the lion and the lamb, right, lay down with one another. We are fully restored in relationship with Christ. That reality is breaking into our life right now. Who are you and what defines you? What is your identity? Too often we forget who we are. We base our identity on what we do. We base our identity on what people think of us. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are adopted into his family, and you are a child of God. So because we often forget who we are, you know, you hear a sermon like this, and you're like, okay, okay, and it resets the needle, and then you find three days later, you're forgetting who you are. Um, I seem to be a fan of creating lists for you. There have been several, <laughs> several now. So I'm like, oh, here I go, creating another list. But I put it on the back of your sermon notes. This is a list of some of the benefits of you being a child of God. You can put this like at your desk, next to your computer, on your refrigerator, whatever, where you can see it. Okay, number one, and I gave you some, every one of these, I gave you some scriptures to look up. Um, you can look those up. I'm not going to read all those. Uh, you are a saint, number one. Okay? The fact that you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ is enough to qualify you as a saint. Okay? Even though you'll still struggle with sin uh, like the rest of us, your core identity is as a child of God, which means you are a saint, not a sinner. Okay? Number two, you are blessed. Okay? God has given you the greatest blessing of all, himself. As a child of God, God will be with you. He will love you, and he will work everything in your life out for your good. Okay, number three, you are appreciated. God notices and appreciates you every time you seek his face, every time you seek his wisdom, every time you make a sacrifice, every time you serve or give in secret. He notices it and he appreciates it even when others don't. Number four, you're saved. Thanks to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, you are saved from sin, from death, from Satan, and from your old human nature. You can spend the rest of your life not worrying about whether or not you are saved, whether or not you will make it into heaven. You do not need to worry about that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can do to undo the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Okay? You are now free to spend the rest of your life doing the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do, right? Loving God, loving others, especially those who are far away from Jesus. He has a special heart, place in his heart for the lost, the last, and the least. Right? It's all through Scripture. Okay. Number five, you are reconciled. Okay, through his death on the cross, Jesus restored relationship between us and, and God. 
He brought us peace. So in that same spirit, we want to become peacemakers, being re- bringing reconciliation wherever we find conflict. But here's the thing. This is like the Minnesota caveat. Uh, that doesn't mean glossing over or avoiding conflict. Okay? It means working through it. Okay? Or pretending it's not there, that kind of thing. It means being committed to working through the conflict to make peace. Okay, number six, God can redeem your suffering. So because we live in a fallen world, uh, all of us at some point have endured suffering, one point or another. Uh, One day, like I said, there will be no more suffering for the child of God. But for now, God can use our suffering for redemptive purposes. We want to ask him to use our suffering, like the suffering that we experience, to make us more like him and to point more people to him. Like those of us who have been through dark places, I find it incredibly redemptive and amazing how God uses that to bless people. He uses that, like your worst pain, like the thing, the really bad thing you went through, God often turns that into a ministry, a way that you can use that to bless and help others. It might just be one person, or it might be like some big thing, but God can use that pain um, for his holy purposes. Number seven, you are heard. Whether you know it or not, God always hears and responds to our prayers. Sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no, sometimes the answer is not now. But know this, God, God, he sees everything. He knows your deepest longings and desires. He knows about your deepest hurts and your deepest pains. But what he wants is Authenticity. Okay? He wants the real you, not, the, not who you think you should be, right? but the real you, even when it's ugly. Okay? I've always said God is big enough to take our questions, to take our frustrations, to take uh, even our anger. Even when you, we are at our lowest, there he is. He never left your side. Okay, number eight, you are called and given special gifts. As a child of God, God has given you special abilities and he has called you to some kind of kingdom work. Right? So that might be in the church or it might be out in the community, might be in your workplace, might be in your neighborhood. But we are all called to some kind of Ministry. If you are a child of God, you are called to some kind of ministry. I've always said that there is no greater joy than for the hammer to discover that he is a hammer and to be used in the hands of the master. It's like before then, he just goes around hitting people and hurting things. And it's like, oh, okay, that's why God designed me. <laughs> All right, so we'll be developing uh, soon 
some assessments and some classes that will help you figure out what those gifts are and what your calling is. Uh, it's part of an overall discipleship track uh, that we will start building and launching this fall. You'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. Okay, number nine, you are a new creation. So when you gave your life to Jesus, lots of, lots of things happened to you, including Holy Spirit coming and taking up residence within you. So you are now a new creation. It's hard to see it at first, but as we continually give control over to God, following those promptings, those nudges, the whispers of the Holy Spirit in every areas of our lives, sometimes those promptings come through God's word, sometimes those promptings come through prayer, sometimes those promptings come through the community of believers, sometimes it's just like this like, thing that comes in from the side, is that you, God? You know, all of these things probably need to do like a whole thing. How do you hear from God? Like a whole series. But like that's the key. Learning to hear God, the nudgings, those whispers, right? As we listen, we keep seeking those. I'm telling you, if you have a heart to try to seek God's voice, he is faithful. He will, it warms his heart for you to go, God, I want to seek your way. I want to hear your voice. I want to know where you're leading me in this. As you keep doing that, I'm telling you, he's not going to leave you hanging. And bit by bit, as we surrender uh, areas of our life over to him, he changes us um, baby step by baby step. I'm a big fan of baby steps. Like I'll, I'll probably unpack that at some point. Like change happens through tiny little steps baby steps. He changes us into the person who we will be for eternity. Number 10, you're forgiven. Okay. When you place your trust in Jesus, um, all of your sins were forgiven. That, this is a hard one. It blows our mind. Like all of your sins, past, present, and future were forgiven. Now you have the power to forgive others. Okay, there's probably no other fact, this is my opinion, but there's probably, just from what I've seen, um, there's probably no other factor that has more impact on your spiritual growth and your spiritual health than your ability to forgive both others and yourself. I've seen people who had unforgiveness in their heart for decades, either for others or for themselves, who finally forgave and it absolutely freed them from being stuck in their relationship with God and stuck in their ability to love and trust and be who God created them to be. Forgiveness. We've been forgiven. Now he has given us the power to forgive others. Okay? You know this, right? Bible says, if you come to the altar, you have something against someone, go forgive them, right? It's like, it's a big deal. And it's not just for them, it's for us. Number 11, you're adopted. So as a child of God, you've been adopted into God's family. Um, learning how to love and trust God as your father 
is one of the keys to walking out our identity as a child of God. And this can be hard for those of us who had a distorted father figure in our lives. But God can heal that. Again, as we learn to give up control and we follow the leading and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he leads us into a better understanding of who God is, how trustworthy he is, and how much he loves us. Number 12, uh, you are loved. So none of us love perfectly. We're all like this mishmash of genuine love and our own brokenness, right? All of us. But God absolutely loves you. And nothing you do will ever make him love you any less. So that calm assuredness of God's love, experiencing that, we often experience that in worship, in prayer, um, but sometimes it just, it just comes on us. Like that calm assuredness of, my gosh, God absolutely loves me. That can be absolutely transformative. It can heal us. It can transform us. So we're able to love others in a way that we never thought would be possible. Like, it is really hard to genuinely love others when we are not able to receive the love of the Father. But when we, we, we walk in the truth of our identity as a child of God and, and God is regularly reminding us how much he loves us, and we know, we walk each day knowing how much we're loved, that love literally spills out to the people around us. That is what is transformative. Otherwise, it's a workspace thing. I gotta like somehow pretend to be loving even when I hate your guts. It's like, all that does is just like breed hypocrisy and uh, all kinds of bad stuff. No, but like when God is transforming me on the inside out and like this person who I normally would have like, like before I would have hated his guts and then Holy Spirit has given me like some kind of deep compassion for this person and an empathy and a, and a, and a love that I never, would have never been possible had I not known how much I am loved and forgiven and how he's never left my side. That, that's the key. Number 13, you're rewarded. So even though we're saved by grace through faith in Christ uh, and we can't earn our salvation, there are definitely rewards to be found both here and in heaven for living a life for the Lord. If you are walking out your calling in the kingdom of God, there will be people telling you for the rest of eternity about the impact that you had on their lives for the rest of eternity. So whether you took part in them coming to Christ or them growing in Christ or you showed them love and gave them encouragement when no one else would, whatever it is, you will absolutely be rewarded for walking out your calling in the kingdom of God, like for eternity. We talk about like sharing God stories. I'm telling you, 
If you live a life this way, following these promptings and doing what Holy Spirit says, showing love to people, walking out whatever it your calling is, you will be, people will be coming to you three billion years from now in tears saying, thank you, thank you. And you, you'll be like, tell me. Tell me about what happened after I did this. And you'll get to hear the stories. It'll just be awesome. Number 14, you're victorious. If you're a child of God, Jesus has given you the authority and the power through the indwelling Holy Spirit to overcome sin and the demonic forces of evil. Okay? Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget who you are. Like I said, it is tempting to put our identity in something other than being a child of God, right? Even for me as a pastor. I've been a pastor now for 18 years. Uh, It is tempting to want to place my identity in being a pastor. But what happens if I find myself suddenly not a pastor? No, being a pastor is just my calling, which God may one day take away. He's God, I'm not. He can do that. But being a child of God is my identity. He will never take that away. Right? Okay, I said three billion years ago. Three trillion years from now, okay? We will be in heaven uh, going up to one another and saying something like, well, hello there, beloved child of God. And the other person will say, hello yourself, beloved child of God. Because more than anything else, that's who you are. A beloved child of God. Don't forget it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that even though we were dead in our sins and children of the enemy, you adopted us into your family. And through faith in Christ, we are now children of God. Thank you, Lord, that we're a new creation and that we're loved and forgiven and that we are victorious over sin and the powers of darkness. Lord, help each of us to live like children, just wholly dependent on you for everything and in everything we do. Lord, help each of us to discover the unique calling and the gifts you've given us so that we can impact lives for the kingdom. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.